All right, so we start this morning with two incredible gospel quotes. In each of these quotes, they dig into the depth of the gospel message. And the first one comes from a man by the name of Dave Harvey. He is the pastor of Four Oaks Community Church in Florida. I want you to listen to what he said. Quote, everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. That's so wonderful. I'm going to say it twice. Everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. I first read that quote maybe eight, nine years ago. And when I first heard it, I was thinking, that sounds good. I like simple. I like concise. And for that matter, when there's three finely alliterated Ps, you kind of know God is all over this. But I've spent the last seven to nine years just going through and thinking about it. And as I study a little bit more, I'm like, does it still hold true? Does it still hold true? Is that an accurate statement? And from the best of my ability to discern Scripture and to be in the Word, I think he's on to something. Everything in Scripture is either preparation for the gospel, presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. Here's your next quote. It comes from C.J. Mahaney. It's found in the book, The Cross-Centered Life, Keeping the Gospel the Main Thing. He said, to grow in your passion for what God has done, increase your understanding of what God has done. Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is a life-permeating, world-altering, and universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths Man will never exhaust, end of quotes. If you really ponder that statement, you are left with some really deep and profound questions. Questions like, am I content with my current understanding of the gospel? Questions like, when the gospel comes up, do I immediately think that's a topic for unbelievers, but as a believer, I need deeper things? Do I really see the gospel as life-permeating and world-altering and universe-changing? And if not, what is God wanting me to know that I currently don't see or currently have not grasped when it comes to the gospel? My prayer in this last week as I've been preparing for this particular message is that God would give us all fresh eyes to see the depth, the glory, and the splendor of this gospel message. I have been praying that God would give us eyes to see this truth in a brand new way. I've been praying that as we walk away from the service today, that there is an unquenchable passion and a drive in each of our hearts to go further and deeper in the gospel every single day. I'm praying that we would not be content with our current understanding of the gospel. Now, for us to come into this idea, I want to share a big truth. And this is a truth that you've actually heard me share a couple of times before, but I want to pull it out today. Here's the truth that we're going to work through. You never outgrow the gospel, you grow into the gospel. You never outgrow the gospel, you grow into the gospel. Now, today we're going to unpack this truth from the perspective of a believer. If you're to talk to a Christian and you were to say, How does the gospel impact the life of an unbeliever? 
there's very quickly a believer would say, well, the person goes from being lost to being saved. You can immediately see the impact. You can immediately see the change. But what happens for somebody who's already a believer? How does the gospel impact the believer? If you know Jesus today, how does the gospel keep transforming your life week after week and month after month and year after year? That's what we're going to dig into in this morning's message. Now, this morning's message is a part of a broader series entitled Engage, that we may make him known. And the series is about the two horizontal relationships of every believer. That is their relationship with the church and their relationship with the world. And the focus of this series is how we as a church can effectively and collectively make Christ known among the nations. How do we engage the Great Commission in a practical way and in a way in which the gospel keeps going out from us? Now, we just came out of another series that was entitled Relationship, that I may know him. And that was a series that was focused on our vertical relationship with God. We were digging into the Great Commandment. How it is that we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Now, when you combine these first two series, you have the foundation for the essence of the Christian life. You've heard me share before that the entire Christian life flows out of these three key relationships. Our relationship with God, relationship with the church, and relationship with the world. It's all coming out of relationship. Why do I keep emphasizing that? Because oftentimes when people try to explain Christianity, they move back into actions as opposed to relationship. They focus on this is what the Christian does, not this is the paradigm, this is the context in which the believer lives. We live in intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We live in constant relationship with other believers, and we are to also be engaged with and to live in connection with those who are not yet believers so that the gospel continues to transform lives. All of it is flowing out of the Great Commission. So this morning, we have a lot to cover. I'm going to invite you to go with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4, and I'm speaking today on the subject, engage the message. Now, as you're finding your place in the text, I need to let you know that 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most complete theological statements found anywhere in your Bible on the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where this is extremely important for us. The resurrection is the linchpin of the gospel message. A dead Savior cannot help you. And if death conquered him, death will also conquer us. So as we read the text this morning, I'm always pointing back to the context. Listen to the context in which Paul is writing. He is addressing believers, listen to this, who denied the resurrection of Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. He's talking to those who claim to be believers, and yet they are denying the very resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely crucial to the gospel. So what does he do? He leads them back into the gospel message, and he helps them see how this is indispensable to the message of Christ. And while he's in this context, he also helps us understand why the gospel is absolutely imperative for every believer. 
So we have a lot that we're covering in this this morning. We're going to read the text. We're going to dig in from there. Here's what it says in verse number one and following. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're asking today, once again, that your spirit guide us into truth. We're asking today that you would allow us to have fresh eyes to see the gospel message from the perspective of a believer and why it is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. God, help us not to walk away the same way that we walked in. Even if we walked in in a great place, Lord, there's always another facet, another level, another amount of depth to the gospel message. May we discover it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to spend an entire message today talking about the gospel, then I want to make sure that we're all on the same page about what the gospel is. Now, I have shared this exact same presentation, these exact six statements, at least a dozen times over the last six to seven weeks. I've shared it in morning messages as well as in evening messages. And you all know, I've already shared. Here's the reason I keep going over the same ones. I want you to be so familiar with each statement that before I finish it, you can finish it in your mind. I want it to be that when you're talking to your friend, you're talking to your family member, and there comes to a gospel conversation, that you're not lost in how to share it. I want it to be that it's almost second nature. So here's the statements again. Humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could do to reconcile the relationship on our own. And here's where it switches over. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead that we might have life. And Jesus offers eternal life, our reconciled relationship, to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Now, here's two problems with what I just presented to you. Number one, too many Christians cannot articulate the gospel message. You cannot fully engage or effectively entrust what you do not personally understand. Here's the second problem. Too many Christians believe the gospel is what you need to be saved, but then after that, you need to move on to deeper truths. So that's the reason we're pulling out this idea again. You never outgrow the gospel, you grow into the gospel. Now today, I'm going to spend the lion's share of the message setting things up so that when we dive into the text, the pieces will begin to fall out. So we're going to get all the way probably about another 15, maybe 20 minutes into this message, and I'm not even going to be back in the text yet. Don't think I've got a three-hour message, okay? I'm just setting it up so that when we read it, all of a sudden the truths begin to fall out. So let's set it all up here. Every facet of Christianity, it connects into or it flows out of the gospel message. 
The gospel is that central teaching that brings meaning and understanding and connection to the great concepts of Scripture. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but let's kind of pull some of these ideas out. You cannot talk about a biblical view of, let's say, justification, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, salvation, sanctification, adoption into the family of God. You cannot talk about it from a biblical perspective without seeing its connection back into the gospel. It's the gospel message that now gives meaning to those words that we just went through. It's the same is true of grace, of love, of community, of the cross, election, resurrection, repentance, life and death, eternal life, heaven and hell, sin and sainthood, hope and glory. All of those words have meaning because they are found and they are rooted and they are grounded in the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. It's the gospel that causes us to marvel at the character of God. The idea that the creator would die for his creation is unfathomable from a human perspective. It's the gospel that compels us to recognize the deity of Christ. It is the gospel that gives definitive answers for the difficult questions of life. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Is there a God? If there is a God, does he know me? If there is a God, does he care about me? It's the gospel message that answers all of those different questions. Without the gospel, there is no eternal life. Without the gospel, there is no communion with God. Without the gospel, there is no true worship of God. Here it is. When the stakes are this high, the church cannot be confused about remain silent over or become apathetic towards the central message of Christ's teaching. That's why, he says, we are to preach the gospel to every creature. Now you might say, but Paul, every Christian already knows the gospel. Well, that all depends. Depends on how you define Christian, and it depends on, depends on how you define the gospel. Every person who says they're a Christian is not necessarily a Christian. And here's the other side of that. There are two, at least two, unbelievably specific different messages about the gospel that has infiltrated the evangelical church. Now, the reason I bring that up is because somebody might say, well, I know that there's different ideas of the gospel that are maybe in some of the fringe groups, but kind of like evangelical life, it's kind of like they're sticking to the word, they're sticking to the basics, they're sticking to the gospel. There's two different views of the gospel that permeate evangelical churches. There is the gospel of religion, and then there's the gospel of grace. Let me show you how the two were so different. The gospel of religion, it teaches that being good will earn God's favor, his acceptance, or his forgiveness. Now, to show that this teaching is alive and well, I would encourage you, ask five of your Christian friends, Christian friends, why should God let you into heaven? You'll be amazed at their responses. It's amazing how many times somebody who is a Christian, they will answer that with saying, I believe in God and I try to live a good life. I try to go to church. I try to read my Bible. I give of my money. I give of my time. God should let me into heaven because I am doing the best I can. That is the gospel of religion. It teaches that our acceptance is based on our performance. 
Now, that teaching can infiltrate the church at some of the earliest levels of education. For example, when teaching Bible stories to our children, if we're not careful, we can unintentionally teach them the gospel of religion. Let's take a story of like Noah, for example. It might be shared like this. A long time ago, there was a man named Noah. He lived at a time when there was a bunch of bad people. But Noah was good, and God blessed him for that. We need to be like Noah, and God will bless us too. Did you just see what happened? It subtly shifted towards the gospel of religion, the gospel of performance. Now, it teaches us that God blesses and God accepts on the basis of our goodness. And here's one of the opposite sides of that. It causes people to develop an entitlement mindset towards God. They're being conditioned to believe that their goodness earns God's favor. So here's what happens. When bad things happen, they will shake their proverbial fist at God and say, God, I did my part. I followed the rules. I tried to obey the scripture. Why are you letting this happen to me? That's what happens when somebody is conditioned to believe that their goodness now earns God's favor and God's blessing. Now, let me be very, very clear on this as well. God wants us to do good. God wants us to live righteously. That's not what I'm saying. But our goodness does not make us right before God. Our goodness is the overflow of being rightly related to God. So the gospel of grace, it teaches that we are far worse than we thought, but Jesus is far better than we imagined. That's the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace, it tells us that we are not acceptable to God based on our performance. We are made acceptable by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Ephesians 2.5, it says, For by grace you have been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor where he does in us and through us and for us what we could never do for ourselves. Let's break that down. Not like MC Hammer break it down, but you get what I'm saying. Let's break it down through the word a different way. You don't want to see my, my dance moves this morning. Okay, here's how the gospel and how grace impacts things, not only before salvation, but afterwards. Here it is. We could not save ourselves, but listen, God did for us what we could not do. That's grace. Now, this might surprise you when I say this. You and I can't live the Christian life in our strength and our ability and our wisdom. We need God to do in us and through us and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's grace. You need as much grace on the front side of salvation as you need on the other side of salvation. You need grace. It is God's grace that strengthens us in our weaknesses and it opens doors that we could never open and it forgives sin that oppresses us. It's God's grace that brings peace in the midst of the storm. It is God's grace in which we have provision at just the right time, not because we deserve it, but because he wants to. That's grace. Under religion, we hope our good is good enough. Under grace, we know that Christ's work is sufficient. Under religion, we compare our righteousness to others. Under grace, we boast in nothing but the cross. Under religion, the work is never done. 
Under grace, Jesus said it. It is finished. When you have been bound by sin and you have been trying to live up to the standard of perfection that's found in the word and you recognize you can't do it, the gospel of grace is the best news you are ever going to hear. That's why Jesus says you're to preach it to all creation. Now, all of that's the setup. So let me remind you now, once again, of our big truth. You never outgrow the gospel. You grow into the gospel. The gospel is not just what you need to be saved. The gospel is what you need to live as a saved person. Now, look at what it says in verse number one again. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Clearly, he's talking the gospel. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received. Now, that first phrase is also translated, let me remind you. Okay, so Paul is not giving them anything new. He is reminding them of the message that was already preached and the message that they already received. Okay, look at this, this idea. This word preach, it means to proclaim, to herald, or to tell. Back in chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle Paul said, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. This is something that gets me excited. Gospel preaching changes lives. Why do I keep preaching the gospel? It's the only message I got. You don't want Paul's three insights on better living. It'll let you down. You need the gospel. You need it preached and proclaimed and taught and kind of ingrained in every part of your life. We need the gospel. It's interesting to me that when I'm preparing for a message, I feel like what I'm doing is good, godly, biblical work. And sometimes you can take pride in it and say, it was because I prepared so well or I taught so well that that person got the truth. I love the fact when you study the gospel, he says, nah, it was the foolishness of what you did that I used to change somebody's life. I, I can't take credit for anything, nor can you. When you've been praying for that family member and they give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, don't go back and start boasting to your friends like, man, I've been praying for them so long, my prayer life is good. God used it. No, God even uses things like prayer to bring us back before the cross to show our dependence upon him so that when he does the work, we got nobody to praise but him. God is good. Here's the next phrase. He goes on to say, in which also you stand. This is so good to me. The same gospel that was preached to them, the same gospel that was received by them, past tense is the same gospel in which you stand, present tense. Your grounding, your footing, your, your foundation as a believer, it's in the gospel message. What God used to save you is the same grounding in which you're standing on afterwards. How can it be that you're stable and everybody else around you is slipping because you're standing on the gospel? How can it be that you're walking in confidence when those around you might be walking in fear? It's because you're standing in the gospel. 
Where do you find your identity and your worth before God? How is it that you can boldly approach the throne of grace because your standing, your footing is in the gospel message itself? Verse number two, by which you also are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now some people believe that this verse teaches you can lose your salvation. And here's the way that they read the verse. If you continue to hold fast to the gospel, you will be saved. But if you let go of the gospel, then you will be lost. I don't ever want to get up and to preach in a way that seems antagonistic. I don't desire when I'm preaching to do anything that's going to intentionally make people upset. But I need to be unbelievably clear at this point. That is the epitome of the gospel of religion. Listen carefully. If your salvation is based on your ability to hold fast to the gospel, then your salvation is based on your ability. Somebody might say, but, but Paul, I, where, where does human responsibility fit in? Where does that part come in? No question about it. The Word of God says we are to repent. The Word of God says we are to believe. The Word of God says that we are to come. The Word of God says that we are to place faith in. No question on that. But I want you to listen to the beauty of what we find in Romans chapter 8, 29, and 30. Listen to the fact of God acting for us. These whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. It's God. We are saved because God took hold of us, not because we took hold of him. In fact, our ability to hold fast to him is only evidence that he's holding fast to us. It's grace. The gospel was preached to them. It was received by them. But because of that, it's what is enabling them to stand and it assures them that they are saved. As a believer, you're ongoing standing before God. Your confidence in the faith is based in the gospel. If you happen to write in your Bibles or highlight in your Bibles, I want to draw your attention to three different verbs found in verses 3 and 4. It's the verbs died, buried, raised. Died, buried, raised. If you would like, feel free, underline, highlight those particular ones. That is the essence of the gospel message found right there. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the basics of the gospel message. So what does this mean for believers? How does the gospel still impact us? This is just a sampling again. This is by no means an exhaustive list. Based on what you've heard in recent weeks and based on what we find in this text, the gospel reminds us of our greatest hope. It restores us to our deepest joy. It challenges our sinful pride. It focuses our walk with God. It reminds us of our mission. It fills us with incredible gratitude. Here's a number of statements. The gospel gives confidence before God because we know our salvation is not based on our performance. 
It's based on Christ's atonement. The gospel enables us to experience intimacy with God because it is the gospel message that leads to eternal life, and eternal life is to know God. We understand that the gospel reminds us that we have value and worth before God. It's in there that we find our identity. It's the gospel that reminds us of God's promise of ongoing transformation because he who began a good work in you is the one who's going to complete it. And let me give you one more. This is a good one. The gospel helps us experience greater community in the local church. Let me pause here for just a moment. When you're focused on the gospel, all of a sudden it'll hit you at different points on a, when you're gathering together and you're worshiping with other believers that the thing that has brought us all into the same room at the same time is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the other differences that happen within the church Differences in socioeconomic differences and differences in ethnic differences and differences in, in age and, and background and where you're from and what you've done. All of those different things all of a sudden come at the even ground before the cross. And here's what you'll realize. The depth of your relationship with other believers is not based on likability. It is a bond that is forged in covenants before God. In other words, there's sometimes you just don't like some people, but it's okay. Because at the end of the day, it's not about whether or not I like or dislike. It's about what God has done for us, and we're together in the family. And when you're together as a family, all of a sudden the bonds are deeper in that. It should help us in our, our unity and our walking together recognizing the gospel is what is central to us. Verse number three, Paul describes the gospel as of first importance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he told them that he came with one message, just one. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is the work of Christ. It is the person of Christ. It is the forgiveness of Christ. All of those pieces are wrapped up in the gospel of Christ. That's why we engage the message. Now we're going to finish in somewhat of a different way this morning. How do you know if the gospel of religion has maybe permeated parts of your life? Did you know you can have parts that you're operating in full understanding of grace, and then there's parts that you turn around and you say, you know what? That's a throwback. That's a remnant of the gospel according to religion. Here's just a few of the ways that you can see if the gospel of religion is still a part of your walk. When you feel frustrated with God because he's not giving you what you think you deserve, you are operating in the gospel according to religion. When you're upset with God because you're twice as good as that other person, but they have twice as much as you do, that's the gospel of religion. This next one hurts as if the last two were easy. Here's the next one. If you fail to extend grace to others the same way God has extended grace to you, that's the gospel according to religion. Here's another one. When you're worn out by trying to live up to God's standards, you're practicing the gospel of religion. So I want to go back to one of those quotes I gave at the very beginning, C.J. Mahaney's quote. To grow in your passion for what Jesus has done Increase your understanding of what he has done. Never be content 
with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is the life-permeating, world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond. Its depths man will never exhaust. If you want to grow in your understanding of the gospel a little bit more, if you want to refresh yourself in some of the truths that you've been learning over the last several weeks and then go beyond that, I want to draw your attention to a website that is thisisthegospel.com. This is the gospel.com. It's a website that I've had a hand in helping to develop. There's messages that are there on sharing the gospel, on living the gospel, on proclaiming the gospel to skeptics. There's resources that will help you to know Christ and make him known to others. There's all sorts of different pieces that are on that site. This is the gospel.com. This last week, I looked up our world's population. There are currently 7.8 billion people in this world. And I am excited because the written material that is on that website has now been translated into 14 languages. And we've been targeting languages to reach the largest number of people and those that there's open doors and opportunity to get things into those languages. I found out this last week that through those 14 languages, now 4.7 billion people around the world have gospel-centered resources available. Here it is, in their heart language. Why is that exciting to me? Because this gospel that we're talking about is the only thing that God has given us to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying. It is this gospel message that we're describing that helps people understand why did God put them on this planet and what is their worth and what is their purpose, all of those different things. This last week I found out that there was another completion of a language, a Rono language. It's spoken in northern Africa. It opened gospel-centered resources to 40 million people this last week alone. Now, let me stop here for a moment. In the last seven weeks, I have shared the gospel with people at Sherwood or those watching online at least a dozen times in the last seven weeks between the morning and the evening services. I want you to think about this for a moment. There are billions of people around the world who have never heard it for the first time. They've never even heard the name of Jesus. And we have a message that can radically change their life. We have a message that God has told us to get to the ends of the earth because it reminds people that they have value before their creator. Do you know how many people wake up every day thinking their life is an accident and that nobody loves them and that nobody cares about them? And we have a message that Jesus has said, take it to the ends of the earth. Preach it to all creation. And that message lets people know you, value, you have value before God. You are here for a purpose. He, he loves you. And here is the message. Here is why you are here and what he desires for your life. We get a chance in a world of seemingly nothing but bad news to walk in and say, we got the best news you're ever going to hear. That's why we're excited about the gospel. For 2,000 years, that same gospel message has been entrusted from one believer to the next for 2,000 years. That's what happened to us. Somebody was willing to learn the gospel so that they could share it with you and I. 
And we have an opportunity to engage that same message and to share it with others. It's all about knowing Christ, making him known. Knowing Christ, making him known. Knowing Christ, making him known. So here's my question as we close out. Are you at a place right now where you're satisfied with your current grasp of the gospel? When was the last time you prayed and said, God, help me to see it like I've never seen it before? When was the last time you begged God for the opportunity to not only live the gospel effectively, but that God would open the doors for you to share the gospel with others? When was the last time a part of making him known is that we go through and engage the message that he wants us to make known? I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for just a moment for prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I am not going to go through and put pressure on anyone in this my heart's desire, as, as you've heard another message today on the gospel, my heart's desire is that the Spirit of God would renew and refresh and bring these truths in a brand new way into your heart. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Just respond as the Spirit of God is leading you. There's going to be pastors that are going to be down front. There's going to be a song of invitation. If you know the song, and you feel like God has you in a good place with the gospel, sing, worship, praise him for what he's done. It might be today that as the song is going on that you're saying, God, help me to desire to understand more about the gospel. Even if you don't currently have the desire, God, help me to have it. Use it as a time that you're praying for family members and coworkers and neighbors. God has strategically positioned you in places of salt and light. Ask that God would live in and through you. So we're going to have a time of invitation. And however the Spirit of God is working in your heart, I'm going to ask that you would respond. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. And God, unless your Spirit grabs each person in this room and those who are watching online and grabs our heart for the gospel. We hear it as the message of old but not one that changes our life today. God, may we not walk away. May we not be content with our current grasp of the gospel. May we not think that sharing the gospel is for just the pastors and the evangelists and the Bible teachers. God, open our eyes. This is a church that has prayed for revival for years. God, as a part of that answer to prayer and growing deeper into the message that we're to share, God, where do you want to move in this place? Would you have your way? And Lord, we'll be grateful for how you work. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?